Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? All right, um, I'm going to start out. Um, we're going to just going to we're going to have a time of prayer for Ukraine here in just a moment. Um, you know, there's some things going on over there in case you didn't know. And uh, so we're going to pray for them. I, I know people want to know, you know, I've had some questions. What does this have to do? Is there anything in times? Really, the only thing is um, in Ezekiel 38, it talks about um, a nation from the north will come and attack Israel. And most believe that is probably referring to Russia um, and maybe an ally. Uh, so we don't know what that really means. But you know, one of the, the these things of, you know, countries invading other countries, I'm not, I'm not making light of it, but those have been going on for um, hundreds, if not thousands of years. But this is the first time where you have people who are inside the country, you know, being able to do live interviews with people a world away and, and kind of have real-time information about a lot of those things. And, uh, you know, we do want to pray for the for the people of Ukraine as they, um, fight for their freedom, and um, we want to um, lift them up, believers that are there. The the head of the Ukrainian seminary, there's a seminary there, um, is actually an, a graduate from Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary right down the road in Fort Worth. So um, they, they've lived in this area before and, and uh, are now there um, serving, training up pastors and preachers there in, in the Ukraine. So we want to pray for them as they fight for their freedom. Um, you know, uh, uh, anyway, just join with me as we pray for them. Heavenly Father, we lift up uh, Ukraine, and, and um, Father, I know that you already know exactly everything that's going on there, but we lift up um, families, we lift up the people. Um, we pray that you'd give them strength as they fight for their freedom, that you'd give them protection from their enemies. Um, Lord, we uh, lift up the believers in Ukraine that, um, Father, as they seek to, to glorify your name and to, to give to others while they're there, that you would strengthen them by your spirit, watch over them with a spirit of protection. And uh, Father, we know um, this was no surprise to you, and what happens in the days ahead will be no surprise either. But Father, we pray, I pray that the nations around the world will, will give aid to Ukraine as they fight, and uh, Lord, that you'd give them um, uh, strength, and give them courage, Lord, as they fight for their freedom. And Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one other thing, just throwing this out here. I don't know if y'all are fully aware of our schedule on Sunday mornings, but we have a worship service at 8.30. <laughs> it's rumored that I preach shorter in that service. I'm not going to confirm or deny that, but I'm just throwing that out there. Um, there is room, in case you were wondering, in that service, and um, you are completely invited and able to come if you so choose. So, <laughs> we are continuing in our sermon series in Romans. <clears throat> Today we're in Romans chapter 2, and it's really, it's, an, it's a really interesting chapter. You know, we give a, a, a great deal of our theology about salvation and about um, uh, just everyday life from the book of Romans. 
And Paul is the one who wrote this. He's writing it um, to the, the, the church in Rome. And he's not yet visited there, but he wants to. And he ends up going to Rome um, when he appeals to Caesar um, in court. And so he ends up going to Rome. Um, that's not really probably the way that he intended it to be. But he has a great relationship with the church at Rome. And he's writing them kind of ahead of time to prepare for his teaching. And the first part, you know, we, we talked about how that chapter, um, one of the verses there is really what stirred um, the heart of Martin Luther and began the Great Reformation, um, which changed the way churches are seen, which changed the way we view the Scripture, and, and really in a lot of ways changed the world, maybe, other, maybe more than any other single event other than um, the, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, everything changed. From that point, um, before that, the, the church and the, the government was intertwined, and they became separated because of that. And it was uh, out of that movement that grew those that came and settled America and began this country. So our, our country would look a lot different without the Reformation. And the Reformation began in Romans chapter 1, where it talked about that salvation was about faith from beginning to end, that that's how God accomplished making man righteous in his eyes. And so today we're going to talk about these two things that kind of seem to be diametrically opposed, but they're really not. And that's the judgment of God and the kindness of God. And we're going to see what the purpose of judgment is. We're going to see what uh, the practical aspects of judgment is for us as believers and for the world. And we're going to begin in Romans uh, 2, verses 1 through 4. And if you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. <clears throat> you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the, the interesting thing here is he's talking to people, um, to, the, to the Romans and, and to the Jews at different times, and talking to them about their attitudes toward people who are not saved, who are not believers. And it is really difficult sometimes for us um, to look at people who don't know the Lord and who not only may be living lifestyles or doing things openly that are in conflict with his word, but a lot of times express hatred or anger towards people who are following God. And it's hard. You know, one of the hardest things to do is not hate haters back. That's just the, that's just the bottom line of it. But here's what Paul's saying. Hey, you want to condemn them? Well, guess what? You're guilty of breaking the law. And he talks in other parts about how Hey, if you break this law or you break this law or you break this law, you're a lawbreaker, and we are all lawbreakers. And the end of chapter 1, he goes through this list of these sins that if you can read those and not recognize that you're in there, that you've broken one of those, then you're a much better person than I am because it covers kind of pretty much everything. And anybody that would read that would go, yeah, man, I've broken that one either in my heart or physically or whatever. 
And so he's telling people, look, you want to condemn them, but what's happening is, is that you, you're condemning yourself. And if, if you're living now without sin, then feel free to condemn those who are lost and outside the church. So what is the purpose of judgment then? What's the purpose of truth? Well, so we're we not supposed to say? We're, we're, we're perfectly within our calling to say this is a sin. Perfectly. You say, you know what? Lying's a sin. Stealing's a sin. Homosexuality's a sin. Fornication's a sin. All those things are sins. They're clearly outlined in the Scripture. But it's not my job to go and say, well, you're going to hell or you're condemned, or God hates you, or any of those things. That's not God's word. As a matter of fact, here's the deal. Most of us are not experiencing God's judgment. Now, are there things that happen that are a result? You know, the Bible says you, whatever, whatever you sow, you shall reap. You shall also reap. And you make bad decisions, there are consequences. But you've not, and I've not either, experienced the judgment of God, particularly since I've come to know Christ as my Savior and Lord. So what, is, what, is, what do we get from that? There is judgment that is eventually going to happen, and we're going to talk about that. But right now, guess what? God's not judging people. He's not raining down judgment on sinners. And the reason for that is because his desire is that his tolerance, his patience, and his kindness would lead people to turn from their sin. You know, right there at the end, it says, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That very word, turn you from your sin, is, is just a further translation of the word repentance. Repent means to turn away from. And so when God is being kind to people and he's not judging them and he's not punishing them, it's in the hopes that they would turn away from their sin. Now, I know you say, well, you're okay, that's for lost people. That's for us too. Because here's the thing. How many of us in here would say that God has only given me what I deserve? That everything that God's given me, I've deserved it. None of us would say that. Because you know what? God's merciful. And so here's the thing. Even though I, I, I say, and it's 100% right, hey, this is true, and maybe if you do these things, it's going to cause consequences in your lives, I want you to understand something. God's still merciful. And I've had, well, you know what? I mean, yeah, I know we're doing this, but I mean, God's still blessing in our lives. There's still, there's still things that are good. That's not, that's not God's approval. That's God's mercy. That's God's kindness. And he's not doing that so you would take it as a license to go out and sin more. He's doing that and being kind and being merciful in the hopes that it would lead you to repentance. You know, all of us at some point, if you have kids and they're, you know, maybe getting a certain age, all of us at some point have said, you know what? You know what the consequence was for this, but I'm going to be kind and merciful. And I'm not going to punish you for this this time. There's not, a, there's not a mother or father in this room that intends for our children to go, cool, now I can go out and sin and do some more things. When we do that, it's with the intention that our mercy and that our kindness would lead you to repent of that behavior and not do it again. But we also at the same time would tell them, now next time though, I'm coming with the hammer. You know what I'm saying? 
But we're merciful sometimes. I know kids are like, I don't think my parents have ever been merciful. Yes, they have. You just forgot it. And that's one of the dangers we have is forgetting God's mercy and not seeing it for what it is that his kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Now, when we talk to people, we should talk to them in love and tell them, hey, there's consequences to this sin, but the biggest thing is it's against God. And when we tell them that, it's not to be out of condemnation. It's not out of anger. If you go and tell somebody and, and you feel like God's called you, hey, they're, they're living life, they've turned away from God, they're living this life that is, that is contrary to his word, our hearts should be that they would turn again to God. And it should not be with a heart of anger. It should be with a heart of love. That they would turn from what they're doing and turn again to him. And you know what? I know it's easy. Wow, they'll never do that. So I'm just, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. The thing about that is, is that all of us were living lives of sin. And we'd heard and knew that they were wrong. And the only thing that turned us around was the thing that turned us around. You know, I was seven when I came to Christ, and I can remember being overwhelmed at the idea that God would send his son to die on the cross for my sins. That was what drove me to repent. And so when we go to people, yeah, we got to tell them the truth. And yeah, you might think, well, they'll never change. And the truth is they won't until something turns them around. And you know what's supposed to turn them around? It's kindness and it's love. But there's still got to be truth. You see, you can't tell people, well, your sin doesn't matter, it's no big deal, and expect them to repent and turn away from something you told them was no big deal. The Word of God speaks on, the, on sin. And it's our job to, to teach and to speak the truth, but it should always be with the intention that those who are violating that would repent and turn to Him. God's kindness is meant to lead the, word to re- the world to repentance. And if you want to know why Jesus hadn't come back yet, it's because God's patient. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. That's why God's waiting. I mean, there's probably not anybody in here that had at some point thought, God, if you just zap them, just zap them. Just zap them, people. Some of y'all were thinking that on the way to, work, on the way to church here today, weren't you? You shouldn't think that about your kids. Just saying. (laughs) Kids are like, why? Not me. Yeah, you. We We should tell the truth, and we have to, but it's always with the intention that people would repent and turn to him. See, God, he loves people. He loves people. But don't don't think that just because he loves and because he's kind and because he's patient, that there will be no judgment because there will. It says in verses 5 through 11, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good 
seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Now, those verses might be a little confusing. People might think, well, so God's saying that it's depending on what we do. Here's what Paul teaches us over and over again. He taught us in the first chapter, salvation is about faith. It begins and ends with faith. Here's the deal. Faith changes people. It should. You know, one of the amazing things to me <clears throat> is when somebody wants to tell me, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I believe that. I did that. I, you know, I accepted Jesus, whatever. And, and I'm like, well, where's the change? And here's, here's the bottom line. If there's no change, there's no Jesus. Now, change might look different in this guy than it does from that guy. It might look a little different in the way that God changed this woman and, as opposed to that woman or this teenager and that teenager. So it's going to look different. But how could you think and expect that the God of the universe could take up residence in your life and you not be changed. Now, here's what he's talking about. If you notice, there was, there was a phrase he used, those who keep on doing good. Here's the thing. It's when, you, when God looks down, and he knows who's sincere about it or not, but here's what we should be able to see, is that, that the totality of a life, from the time someone came to know Jesus, you should see Jesus in that life. It's that simple. Do you know, sorry, I'm, I have a little voice issues here. Um, when you look at the life of David, David committed like two of the worst sins you can commit. Not only did he take someone else's wife, but he had them, he basically murdered him, had him put up at the line and had the soldiers draw back so he'd be killed by opposing forces. So he was guilty of murder. That's two of the worst things you could do. I mean, am I right? If we're listening, all right, here, you know, the big bad sins or whatever, that's got to be one of them. I mean, that, and that was a deliberate, he had to plan it, he made it happen. <clears throat> he had to carry it out. One of the worst things you could do. But here's the deal. When you look at David and you look at his life from the beginning to the end, there were some spectacular falls. And sometimes believers will have some spectacular falls. And sometimes they'll have times or periods in their life where they drift away from God. But when you look at the totality of David's life from the beginning to end, you see a man who desired to please and who loved God. He loved God. And you know what? When he was confronted by the prophet about his sin, you know what he did? It grieved him. He acknowledged it and he repented. Read Psalm 51. That's the psalm that he wrote right after he was confronted with his sin. And so when you look at the totality of his life, you know what? You could, man, there were, there were some moments in there that you'd be like, no way was this guy a child of God. But when you look at his life on the whole, it's undeniable. 
And that's the thing for us as believers. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be, that there won't be some falls in there. But when you look at the totality of someone's life, it's a life of faith. Now let's look at Judas. He betrayed Jesus. And then after that, he became remorseful. And so he took the money that, he, that he'd gotten to betray Jesus, and he took down, he donated, gave it to the church. And the church said, well, we can't, you know, what are we going to do with this sustained money? So they used it to go out and buy a burial plot for people that couldn't afford one. But guess what? When you look at the totality of Judas's life, even though he had this one gesture at the end of remorse, his life was marked by faithlessness. You know, you come to find out, that they found out later on that he was the one that carried the purse, and he stole from it the whole time. His was not a life marked by faith. It was marked by unbelief. And that one gesture of donating some money to the church was not enough. You look at his life, that was not somebody that loved Jesus. And so that's the difference. You see, he had a gesture, but that wasn't enough. And some people think that a gesture is enough. That last verse says, God does not show favoritism. <clears throat> you know, when I started in the ministry, we would, we would do a lot more of going out and knocking door to door. Um, that's not something you do anymore. It used to, I mean, when I grew up, people would just drop by. Because, you know, we didn't have cell phones. You couldn't text people. If somebody wasn't by the phone, you, you know, you never, so they'd drop by a lot of times, unannounced. You didn't know they were coming. And people were prepared for that and would get ready for bed like at, you know, 9, 10 o'clock. There was a certain point where, okay, you know, you shouldn't be coming by after this. And so you could just, you could go by unannounced or you could not go door to door. You can't really do that now. People go home and within five minutes, they're usually in their pajamas and somebody knocks on the door, they're like, what, who, who, what's happening here? I mean, unless it's a delivery, you know, or DoorDash or whatever, you don't expect anybody to knock on your door. And if it's DoorDash, you just want them to leave the food and go away anyway. So you can't go knock on people's doors. But we used to do that, and we'd knock on, you know, hey, I, I, can I ask you a couple questions? We're taking a survey. And then I, now I get it, this question sounds a little, but we would say, if you were to die today, how to, what a great way to start a survey. But anyway, if you were to die today and be stand before God, and he asked you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say? And the number one answer was always, well, I've never killed anybody. Like, that's the bar, okay? As long as you never murdered anybody in heaven. But here was the second most popular answer that I used to get. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm American. That's what I hear all the time. Because here's the deal. We'd, it, we'd been taught, and, and it was true, used to be, that this was a Christian nation. It was built on Christian principles. And so people just assume, well, I'm an American. I mean, God's blessing us. Look at us. We got more money than everybody else. We, we all that and a bag of chips on the world stage. We're it. I mean, we're a world power. I mean, God's, I mean, so yeah, I'm an American. Of course God's going to let me in. But here's the deal. God don't care what your nationality is. There's no favoritism. When you stand before God, there's only one answer going to get you into heaven, and that's, Yes, I know Jesus, your son. You know, Jesus told about that in that moment. He said, many people are going to come up to me and say, but yeah, but Jesus, didn't I do this in your name? 
I made this contribution. I did this thing. I used to go to church sometimes. And you know what Jesus responds to him? He doesn't say, well, you didn't do enough stuff. What he says is, I never knew you. So don't think just because you were born into this country that somehow you're going to have some kind of favoritism before God, some kind of special place because you're not. And see, that's the next part. In 11 through 16, he shows us it's not the possession of the truth. Do you know, I, I haven't even looked this up, but I can guarantee you this is true. There are more Bibles in America than probably the rest of the world combined. We have more access to the Word of God than any other nation on the planet. Way more than like Russia or China. You can still get thrown into prison in those countries. It's not having the truth in your possession. It's practicing the truth. Romans 11 through 16, for God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. Do you know that every civilization that we've come across throughout history has all had some moral code about right and wrong and some idea in that civilization that we would have to answer for what we did on this earth to some, some God, some kind of God. That's written into our hearts. And so what he's saying is, when people who don't, get, who don't have the law, who don't have the truth, act in such a way that they're following the law, they're better off than somebody who has the law and doesn't follow it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts. Either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's secret life. You see, here's the, here's the next part of this. God's going to judge deeds. He's going to look at the deeds of those who are without Christ, and they're going to answer for every deed. And it's going to be an eternal penalty. Now, for those who are in Christ, we're not going to have to answer for our sins because Jesus already did that for us. But we're still given a, going to give an account for the life that we lived. And so do you have a life that on the whole, yeah, there's some falls. There was maybe a hiccup or two or three. But when you look at someone's life, you know, you can see, yeah, you know what? They love Jesus. They lived that. They showed it. You could see Jesus. You could see the changes that came. But then we're also going to be judged by the motives and the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. 
You see, here's the deal. You can do something good for wrong motives, and it was still a good action, but you're going to be judged for the reason why you did it. You know, several years ago, when we started doing the Exceptional Rodeo, for, for those with special needs, and, the, you know, we do the um, Night to Shine now, too, there were some people that, that came that weren't part of our church and that wanted to help, and they got really upset that they didn't get to do what they had planned on doing to help. And so we had to make a decision then. Well, you know, is, is that going to be part of our thing that we make sure that whatever people are wanting to do that they get to do? And we decided we weren't going to do that. What we decided was that it's not about us. It was about the people we are serving, the people we are showing God's love to. And so we tell people, hey, I, I get it. This may be out of your comfort zone. It may not be what you thought, but it's not about us. It's about them. And so that was what we built it on. And that was the decision that we made. And so what we were saying was, and you know what? Here's the deal. Any, any of us can be tempted in that. You know, when I was sitting there and we were doing the remarkable evening, I looked over there, I had a sense of joy at what was going on. I mean, you couldn't look at those kids and those, young, those adults that were, the, that were our guests and not feel joy at seeing the joy that they expressed. But that's not, that's, that can't be our motivation for doing it. Our motivation is that we simply wanted to show them that God loves them and that they matter. Everyone matters. That's why we do it. And you can do good things, and you have to be careful not to allow even doing something good to be done for a wrong motive. Because here's the deal. The day's coming when God, through Jesus Christ, is going to judge everyone's secret life. Hebrews 4, 12-13 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. You know, whatever we do should be done out of love for him. God's not impressed with the outward formalities that we do. You know, there's a reason why. You know what? Remember what Jesus said? He didn't say, well, you didn't do enough good stuff. Now, should we, as believers, we ought to want to do things. We should. We should want to do things in love for other people. But we got to be careful about our motives. You know, are, are we doing it in such a way that we please God? Are we doing it to please Him? And then what are the motives? You know, sometimes you can do good things because you got a motive behind it. You ever had somebody come up and do something good for you and you're like, they want something. They're looking for something. Have you ever? We've all had that. See, we're questioning their motives. And you may have some doubt. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, they're, maybe they got a good motive. Maybe they don't. But guess what? God already knows. And it's going to be pointless trying to come to God and say, hey, God, remember? I did that thing. 
God said, yeah, I know why you did that. Because you can't hide things from him. Now, here's the, the good part of that. God knows your heart. And he's looking for people that, whose hearts are, are devoted to him. You know, when um, God told Samuel the prophet he had rejected Saul as king, and he said, I, I want, I'm going to want you to anoint a new king. I want you to go down and find Jesse, and one of his sons is going to be the king. But he didn't tell him which one. And so he goes down there, and it, it says when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Because he came walking out of there looking like a rock star ruler king. I mean, he looked like a dude to people. If you present him and said, hey, here's the new king, everybody go, yeah, that's the man. I mean, dude was tall, strong, <clears throat> looked the part. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. All you short people, be encouraged. Don't look at his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's looking at our heart. And you know something? If you're not careful, you can be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And we constantly need to be evaluating honestly our own hearts and our own reasons. Because that's what pleases God when we do things that please Him. And we're doing them to, ple to please Him. We're doing them with the right motive. We're doing some, a, a gesture because we really do love people. We want to help somebody because we know it's the right thing. We want to we show love to someone, not because it's something we can get in return. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the things that I love about our special needs ministry is we have no expectation of ever receiving anything for that. And we also don't use it. You know, we could try to promote it, try to call all the news stations, have them come down here and say, hey, look what Greenwood's Baptist is doing. We don't do any of that. Matter of fact, when they approach us, hey, would you like us to do a story? Eh. If you want to do it about the kids, we don't care. We're not trying to use it as a publicity stunt. We don't expect anything. That we, we do it just because that's who we are and that's what we do. And so we want to make sure that we're, we're living, we, we are doing the right things, that's part of it, but that we're doing them for the right reasons. You know, it's, there's no place where it's harder to do that than in the culture we live in. And one of the hard things to do is to speak truth, and we should speak it. Hey, th th this is wrong. God's Word says it's wrong. You, you want to be right with God? Here's what you got to do. We want to speak the truth, but it should always be in love and for love because we want that kindness to lead to repentance. God's not impressed with the stuff that we do, but he does call us to do stuff. We should do it in love. Now, one of the hardest things to do is there are people out there that, 
that, that are lost, that don't know God, that are living and doing things that not only are an offense to God, but sometimes they hate people that tell them it's wrong. And you know what? It's really the hardest thing to do is not return hate to the haters, but to return love. But that's what God's called us to do. You know what he said one time? What, what credit is it to you if you love people that love you back? So what? You know what the real test of love is? How do you love people that hate you in return, that revile you? That's the real test of love. And that's something that we have to live out if we're going to please and honor God with the way that we live and the way that we love others. His kindness. His kindness and his love are to lead those to repentance. And you know what? That should be our way too, is that we love people and are kind to them. Whether they agree with us or not, whether they love us back, whether they care, whether they hate what we're saying or not, we should say it, say it with love, and do it with kindness. And that's the real test. You show me somebody that does that consistently, I'll show you somebody whose life is marked with the love and the goodness of Jesus. And that's when it really, the rubber hits the road, doesn't it? You know, we have this, when we go help somebody, we expect them to, oh, thank you so much. But are we willing to go help people that turn around and curse us? Jesus was. Are we willing to, to love and help people that hate even the reason why we're doing it? Jesus did. Man, you, you got to have some toughness to do that. So maybe we need to pray that God make us tougher. Not tough love and, and towards other people, that, would, that our love would be tougher inside. That we wouldn't stop loving people just because they don't respond the way we want them to. That's the kind of toughness we need. You know, here's the deal. Here's what it comes down to you. Do you know Jesus or not? Do you have a relationship with him? If you do, and there's areas in your life maybe that, that aren't pleasing to him, why, why not why? God's, God's been kind to you. He's been good to you. He wiped away all your sins. Why would you not want to live in such a way that pleases him? Now, for some of you, you came with a friend or, you know, maybe you've been coming because you, you, you want to know. Here's what it comes down to is you got to know Jesus. And it's really simple how to know him. There's really three simple steps. Number one is you got to admit that you're a sinner. That's the uncomfortable part. I get it. But the Bible tells us in Romans, we're going to talk about it in the next chapter, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It also tells us in chapter 6 of Romans that the wages of sin is death. And sin, death is separation from God. And without a relationship with Jesus, that means for eternity. And you know what the truth is about God? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good thing we experience in this life is from Him. And everybody gets to enjoy it. 
Those who know God and those who don't. A beautiful sunset, cool breeze, laughter, love, joy. But all those things are a gift from God. And here's the thing, when we part from this earth, if you don't know Jesus, there will never be any good thing ever again for all eternity. That's what hell is. There is nothing good in hell. You'll hear jokes about it. Yeah, dude, we're going to party. There ain't going to be no parties. There's not going to be even one single moment of joy or kindness or love in hell. It is misery without end and without relief. Jesus told a parable about a man who looked up into heaven and asked Abraham if he could just send someone down to dip their finger in some water and touch their tongue because they were in agony. And before you say, well, how could God do that to somebody? Let me tell you something, God didn't do that. God gave you a choice. He made a way for you to avoid that. And that way was Jesus. And that's the second part. I know it took a long time getting to the second part. Is you gotta believe that Jesus is God's son that he died on the cross for you and that he rose on the third day according to scripture. So the first thing, you gotta admit you're a sinner, turn away from and ask forgiveness, repent. Believe Jesus is God's son and what he did for you. He did the work. And then the last thing, and this is where you go from just, yeah, I think that's true, to, to grabbing hold of that truth for yourself in faith is you have to trust Jesus as your Savior and confess Him as Lord. You know what that means? It means you're going to turn away from your way of living and turn to Him. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. It's not easy to turn away from what we've been doing our whole lives and turn to Him. And like I said, even after you, you've come to know Christ, there will be some falls. But your, mark, your life will be marked with Jesus from then on. So if that's you and you know you need to have a relationship with Christ, you, don't, you know stuff about Him, but you don't know Him, but you want to, I want to lead you in a brief prayer of salvation. And you can just pray, you can repeat it after me. You got to believe it, but you can repeat it after me. Or you can pray it in your own words, just pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud, God will hear you. So I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And if that's you and you know you need Jesus and you want to be right with him, you just want your sins to be forgiven and you want to, to know that you're going to be with him forever, you pray this with me right now. Dear God in heaven, Thank you for loving me, and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life and change me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose on the third day, according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and I confess Him as my Lord. 
Now, with no one else looking around, if you prayed that prayer today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. Here's all I want you to do. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want you to look up at me right now. Look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. Okay? All right? Okay, I see you. Now, it's important that you tell someone. If you came with your mom and dad or your parents, I want you to tell them after we're done with the service, I want you to tell them, yeah, I, I prayed that prayer. There's also another way. Mr. John will be standing here at the, the service. He's going to dismiss his prayer in a few minutes. Come tell him, hey, I, I asked Christ into my heart. And we would love to sit down with you and talk you through that, answer any questions, and also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We're not going to ask anything from you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. We're not going to bug you. We just want to talk to you about the next steps in following him. If you're in a hurry, you got to get gone. There's a number on the screen. You can just text, I did it, to that number. And we'll set up a time, whether by on the phone or in person, to talk to you about your decision. Like I said, we'd love to answer any questions. and We'd love to talk to you about the next steps in following him. If you're already a believer and you're interested in church membership, you can just text membership to that number, and we'll do the same thing. We'll set up a time to meet with you and answer any questions about what it means to be a member of Greenwood Baptist Church. We'd love to have you be part of our church family. So I want to pray for those that prayed that today. I want to pray for all of us that we would live that life of, of love, displaying the kindness of God to those we come in contact with. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy, and your kindness towards us, Lord. Thank you for those that turned in repentance today to you. Father, help all of us to love with the love that you've shown us. A love that is strong, but a love that is kind. Father, thank you for your calling and your love for us and your mercy. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.